shivered as he looked out of the greyness of Horse Guards Row. With Britain still smarting after the debacle of Suez, the political situation was as cheerless as the weather. A mile or so away, an old black silver wraith Rolls Royce stopped outside a tall building in Regent's Park. A middle-aged man with shrewd grey eyes climbed stiffly out onto the pavement. Hale hit him in the face like a whiff of small shot. You won't be needing the car again today, Harris. I'll use the tube this evening. Weather for driving a car. Aye, aye, sir. Thank you, sir. He went up in the lift to the eighth floor and along the thick carpeted corridor to his office. Good morning, Miss Moneypenny. Good morning, sir. Bring me the signals, please, and anything else you've got. Straight away, sir. He went into his office and closed the door. He took out a large blue silk bandana handkerchief and brusquely wiped it over his face, something he'd never have done in front of the porters or the liftman. Let me have the Strangways file, please, Miss Moneypenny. Yes, sir. And tell the chief of staff I'll see 007 in half an hour. Very good, sir. He opened the signals file and went through it. Occasionally he made a brief telephone call. When he had finished, he tossed the pile into his outbasket and reached for his pipe and the tobacco jar made out of the base of a 14-pounder shell. Nothing remained in front of him except a buff folder 
marked with the top-secret red star. Across the center of the folder was written in block capitals, Caribbean Station, and underneath, in italics, Strangways and True Blood. Yes? Commander Bonds here, sir. Send him in. And ask the armorer to come up. Yes, sir. Good morning, sir. Morning, James. How do you feel? Glad to be back? Very glad, sir. And I feel fine. Not much fun being shunted from hospital to hospital. Convalescence was worse. Damn hard work getting the body back into shape. Yes, I'm sure. Any thoughts about your last case? It was a mess, sir. I blame myself. Should never have happened. Your gun got stuck. Yes, sir. Can't afford that sort of mistake if you're to carry a double-O number. Or perhaps you prefer to drop it and go back to normal duties. No, sir, I would not. Most certainly not. In that case, you must talk to the armourer. Take his advice about what sort of weapon you should carry. If you're licensed to kill, we must make sure you do it efficiently. I'm used to that gun, sir. What happened could have happened to anyone, with any kind of gun. I don't agree. Nor did the Court of Inquiry. Miss Moneypenny, is the armourer with you? Yes, sir. Send him in. Yes, sir. Good morning, sir. Good morning, armourer. I want to ask you some questions. First of all, the Beretta, the point two five. What do you think of it? Ladies' gun, sir. Why do you say that? No stopping power. Easy to operate, I grant you that. But fancy looking. Pills to the ladies. How would it be with a silencer? Still less stopping power, sir. I don't like silencers. They're heavy and they get stuck in your clothing when you're in a hurry. Any comment, 007? I don't agree. I've used the point two five Beretta for 15 years. Never had a stoppage. Never missed with it. Not yet, anyway. I agree about the silencer. They're a nuisance. But sometimes you have to use them. Stand up, 007. I want the armourer to get a look at your build. May I see your gun, 007? Here. And your holster? Thank you. I think we could do better than this, sir. What do you recommend? The Volta PPK 7.65mm. Any comments, 007? It's a good gun, sir. Bit more bulky than the Beretta. How does the armourer suggest I carry it? Burns Martin triple draw holster. Best worn inside the trousers are band to the left, but it's all right below the shoulder. Stiff saddle leather. Holds the gun in with a spring. Should make for a quicker draw than the Beretta. Three-fifths of a second to hit a man at 20 feet would be about right. Thank you, Armourer. I won't detain you. Thank you, sir. Now then, 007, a job's come up. In Jamaica. Personnel problems, a routine investigation and report. The sunshine will do you good, and you can practice your new gun on the turtles or whatever they have down there. You'd like to take it on? Sounds like a soft life, sir. I've had rather too much of that lately. But if you say so. Yes, Commander Bond. I say so. The 68 tons dead weight of the super constellation hurtled high above the green and brown checkerboard of Cuba, starting its slow descent to Jamaica. Bond leaned back in his seat, recalling once again his meeting with M. He was uneasy about this assignment. Routine investigation, M called it. He won't trust me with anything tough, thought Bond. And the suggestion that he might surrender his double O prefix was extremely unwelcome. The license to kill for the Secret Service was a great honor, and it brought Bond the only assignments he enjoyed, the dangerous ones. After their brief and rather unsatisfactory conversation, M had buzzed down for the Chief of Staff a colonel in the sappers and Bond's best friend at headquarters. Bring up a chair, Chief of Staff. I've given the Strangways case to 007. Got to get this mess sorted out before we make a new appointment there. 007 can be acting head of station. Would you fix that with the colonial office and the governor? Yes, sir. Pass me that file, would you? Thanks. Now then, 
Commander John Strangway's RN retired regional control officer for the Caribbean. I believe you know him, 007. Very slightly. We worked together five years ago. What did you make of him? Good man. Bit highly strung. I'd have thought he'd been relieved by now. Five years is a long time in the tropics. And he's number two, this girl, Mary Trueblood. Ever come across her? No, sir. What an excellent record. Chief officer in the Rens, and then came to us. Good look at a judge from our photographs. Would you say that Strangways was a bit of a womanizer? Could have been. What's happened to them? Gone. Vanished into thin air. Both went the same evening. Left everything behind, even their passports. Wouldn't have been difficult for Strangways to cook up a couple of passports, would it, Chief of Staff? No problem there. They could easily have done a bunk. Nobody questions that. The puzzling thing is their last radio call. 18.30, Jamaica time. Somebody, radio security thinks it was the girl, acknowledged our routine call sign, then went off the air. No answer to the blue call or the red. Next day, Section 3 sent a man down from Washington. By that time, the police had taken over, and the governor was already trying to get the whole thing hushed up. Strangways has had the occasional girl trouble down there. Not surprising, really. It's, it's a quiet station. Not much to occupy his time. Yes, but that radio contact sticks in my throat. Why answer the call sign and then do a bunk? Doesn't make sense. People in, uh, love do silly things. What do you think, 007? Seems uncharacteristic. What cases had he been dealing with recently? Anything special? No, it's all very routine. The occasional communists trying to get onto the island from Cuba, crooks from London thinking they can hide away in Jamaica. There uh, was that business with the birds. What was that? Oh, some rot from the zoo or somebody. Got wished on us by the colonial office. No, it wasn't the zoo. It was a group of people in America called the Audubon Society. They protect rare birds. The something, something spoonbill, isn't that right? The roseate spoonbill. Ugly looking thing. Like a pink stalk with an ugly flat bill. Ornithologists thought it was dying out. Then somebody reported a colony of them on an island called Crab Key. British territory, between Jamaica and Cuba. Used to be a guano island. Guano? Bird droppings? Bird droppings are very good as fertilizer, also I'm told. When these birds were found there, it had been uninhabited for over 50 years. The Audubon people ended up leasing a corner as a sanctuary for the spoonbills. Put two wardens in charge and persuaded the airlines to stop flying over the island and disturbing the birds. They're pretty influential, these people. The birds flourished, and at the last count, there were about 5,000 of them. Then came the war. The price of guano went up, and some bright chap had the idea of buying the island and started to work it again. He negotiated with the Jamaican government and bought Crab Key for £10,000, on condition he didn't disturb the lease of the sanctuary. That was in 1943. This man imported plenty of cheap labour and soon had the place working at a profit. Then the price of guano took a dip. Bad news for the bird shit business. Who is this man? Chinaman. No, no, half Chinese, half German. Dr. No. Dr. Julius No. No? As in yes? <laughs> Correct. Anything known? Keeps himself to himself. Nobody ever sees him. The island's his and he keeps it private. Then just for Christmas, one of the Audubon wardens... Barbadian fellow. Good, solid chap, apparently. Arrived on the north shore of Jamaica in a canoe. Very sick. Terrible burns. Died a few days later. Had some crazy story about their camp being attacked by a dragon with flames coming out of his mouth. <laughs> Obviously off his rocker. The Audubon Society weren't satisfied with this story and sent two of their top brass from Miami to investigate. There's an airstrip on Crab Key. The plane crashed on landing. The two Audubon men were killed. Thus causing an absolute bloody rumpus. Well, it's always the same when people start preserving things. Churches, old houses, these blasted birds. Everybody gets worked up. Politicians get involved and then there comes a point when somebody has to do something to keep them all quiet. Of course, nobody at the colonial office is in the least interested, which is why the whole damn fairy story has been dumped in our lap. In Strangway's lap. Exactly. Let me have a look at the fire. Yes, yes, yes. Take it, take it. And for God's sake, get it sorted out pronto. Now, you may not have noticed, 007, 
but the rest of the world happens to be in a bit of a mess. Good evening, Mr. Bond. Good evening. Import and export merchant. What company, sir? Universal Export. Are you here on business or pleasure? Pleasure. I hope you enjoy your stay, sir. Thank you. Hey, Captain, over here. Quarrel. <laughs> How you doing, Captain? Good to see you. And you, sir? You look exactly the same as you did five years ago. Same old blue shirt, same old khaki twill trousers. <laughs> How's the turtle fishing? Oh, not so bad, Captain. And not so good. Much the same as always. Hey, you been sick or something? As a matter of fact, I have. What do you ask? There's some pain lines in your face. Yes. Need a few days of your training regime. Just give the word, Captain. As soon as I heard head office was sending me to Jamaica, I sent a signal to the governor's office. Get my friend Quarrel over from the Cayman Islands, I said. Can't function without him. Real glad you did, Captain. Hey! What's that? Welcome to Jamaica, Mr. Bond. Why'd you take my picture? I'm from the Daily Gleaner. That doesn't answer my question. I take pictures of all the interesting people who come to Kingston. I'm not interesting. You look very interesting. Appearances can be deceptive. Which hotel will you be staying at, Mr. Bond? I think that's my business. Have a good evening, sir. Ever seen that girl at the airport before? I reckon not. But the Gleaner had plenty camera gals. She a pretty one. <laughs> Maybe. But like I said, appearances can be deceptive. This way, Captain. Here's the car. Hmm. Like Sunbeam Alpine. This was Strangway's car. Who's Strangway's? Regional control officer. He's disappeared. That's why I'm here, to find out where he's gone. The ADC tell me to meet you at the airport with the car. He say this is the only spare car they have. Him no good? It's okay. Let's get going. They booked you into the Blue Hills. Corner room with balcony. Good. What about dinner tonight? Where should we go? Depends on what you fancy, Captain. You choose. Somewhere where we can relax. There's a place down the waterfront. The Joy Board. Hit no great shakes, Captain, but the food and the drinks and the music is good. And I got a good friend there. His name Puss Vella. He owns the joint. Sounds good to me. Pick me up at 7.30. Sure thing. Coral, look in the mirror. See that car behind us, driving with the side lights only? I see him, Gat. Okay, here's what we do. At the end of the Palisados, where the left fork goes to Kingston, the right to Morant, turn quickly down the Morant Road, stop at once and turn your lights off, right? Right. And go like hell. You see? Big American taxi cab. He's turned his lights on. He's looking for us. And take the Kingston Road. Okay, Quarrel, let's go. Keep a watch out. No one drives an empty taxi back from the airport. It's an expensive run. You think he follows, Captain? I'm damn sure of it. Been a fool, Quarrel. Why is that, Captain? That girl photographer, how did she know who I was? Somebody must have told her. Now this taxi, I'm being watched, I'm being followed. I've been bloody careless. Might just as well have taken out a full-page advert in the Gleaner saying when I was coming. And why? 
This is it, Captain. Distant joy boat. What's your friend called? Pussfella. <laughs> That's right, Captain. They calls him that because him once fought with a big octopus. He's mostly small fellas round here, but they come big at Crab Key, seeing how it's the deepest waters round these parts. Pussfella has himself a bad time with this animal. But so long getting yourself free. Mr. Q. Hey, Pussfella. Long time no see. Nice table for two. A sure thing. Closer to the kitchen than the music. Something to drink. What do you want, Captain? Bourbon and branch water. Do you have old granddad? Sure. What do you have, Corey? I'll have what the Captain has. <laughs> Soon come. Cigarette? Thanks, Captain. It's good to be back. Good to have you back. Tell me, Quarrel, this place you were talking about, Crab Key, what sort of place is it? Oh, that a bad luck place now. Chinese gentlemen buy it during the war and bring in men and dig bird dirt. He don't let nobody land there, and he don't let no one get off. We give it a wide berth. Hmm? Why's that? Him have plenty watchmen, and guns, machine guns, and radar. <laughs> Friends of mine have landed there, and him never been seen again. You tell the truth, Captain? That crab key scare me plenty. Two old granddad with branch water. Thanks. Happy days. Happy nights, Captain. <laughs> mm. What is it? What do you see? Over there by the bar. That Chinese girl from the airport. Bring her over. I want to know what she's up to. Sure, will do. Evening, Missy. Captain like to take a drink with me. I'm busy. You got time for a drink? Let go of my arm. You're hurting. Come and take a drink with the captain. <laughs> well, well, you again. I see you've got your camera and flash bulbs. You're a hard-working girl. I'm taking pictures of the night spots. I thought you were taking another picture of me. The first one didn't come out. Tell this man to leave me alone. What's your name? Mind your own business. Quarrel? No! That hurts! Stop it! Ah! Annabelle Chong. Let's ask your friend what he knows about her. Hey, push fella! Let go of my arm! Morning, good time. <laughs> Something wrong, boss? This girl, never seen her before. She come here sometimes. She be in a nuisance. Want me to send her away? No need for that. She says her name's Annabelle Chung. Would you call the cleaner and see if they've heard of her? Sure, boss. Well now, Annabelle, why didn't you ask that man to rescue Screw you? Screw you! Why are you so anxious to get my picture? It's my job! Who are you working for? The Gleaner, I told you. Quarrel, see if you can persuade her to be a little more cooperative. You reckon I can do that, Captain? No! Take it easy, miss. I ain't even started yet. It's okay, boss. You know Annabelle Chong. She's one of their freelance girls. Thanks. See? I told you. You still haven't told me who wants my picture. And I'm not going to. Limey scum. Don't speak to Captain like that. Cold, she got something in her hand. Let go of me. I'm gonna teach you manners. Yeah! Oh, Little bitch. Next time, I smash it in your eye. She plenty tough, this gal. You want for me break she arm? No, leave her alone. Let her go. We'll get nothing out of her. He'll get you. He'll get you, you bastards. He'll get you. You all right, Quarrel? Sure. You better put some plaster on that cheek of yours. What she cut me with? One of her flashbulbs. That was some tough baby cabin. Come on. Let's eat. How about... Broiled lobster followed by rare steak and native vegetables. Hmm? Yeah. Sounds good to me, Cap. Sounds good.
Bond sat on his balcony smoking his first cigarette of the day. He had a gut feeling that Strangways and the girl had been killed. But why? Almost certainly something to do with the crab key and those birds, the roseate spoonbills. But what could be so important about an island full of bird droppings? Presumably somebody knew or suspected that the Secret Service would investigate Strangway's disappearance, which must be why Bond had been followed by the Chinese girl and the airport taxi. And what part, if any, did Dr. No play in all this? There was nothing on him in records, and a signal to the FBI had been negative. But Quarrel was scared of Dr. No and Crab Key. That was odd. Cayman Islanders, least of all Quarrel, do not scare easily. Perhaps the colonial secretary might be able to provide some of the answers. He was a pipe-smoking old Herovian called Pladel Smith. Bond. James Bond. Yes, by Joe. You were the chap who was mixed up in that treasure business four or five years ago. By Joe. Found the fire lying around only the other day. What a lark. I say, we should start another bonfire like that here, stir the place up a bit. This file of mine you saw, how come it was lying around? I saw it on my secretary's desk. She's a new girl. Said she was trying to get up to date with the files. Mind you, there were plenty of other files on her desk. It was just yours that caught my eye. Oh, I see. Well, that explains it. Sorry to be nosy. Well, it's your job, I suppose. So what's the problem? I bet it's a damn sight more interesting than all that muck in my intro. What do you know about Crab Key and the Chinaman who owns it? Very little, I'm afraid. I know something about the guano business. But as far as Crab Key is concerned, I'm afraid it's a question of trawling through the files. Miss Taro, the file on Crab Key, please. The one on the sale of the place and the one on Dr. No. Guano is bird dung, as I'm sure you know. <laughs> the best natural fertilizer in the world. Fetches $50 a ton. The Chinaman must be a wily devil. Ships the stuff direct to Antwerp. Must have made a fortune. How much is it worth, you suppose, Crab Key? The birds themselves are extremely valuable. Each pair produces about $2 worth of guano a year without any expense to the owner. Say they're worth $15 a pair, and say there are 100,000 birds on Crab Key, which is a reasonable guess, based on the figures we have, that makes his birds worth a million and a half dollars. Pretty valuable property. Add the value of the installations, say another million, and you've got a small fortune. Come in. Yes, Miss Tara. Very sorry, sir. We can't find those files anywhere. What do you mean? Who had them last? Commander Strongway, sir. Well, I remember distinctly him bringing them back to this room. What happened to them? I don't know, sir. The covers are there, but there's nothing inside them. Bond glanced at the girl and smiled grimly to himself. Like Dr. No, like Miss Animal Chung, the demure, efficient-looking secretary in horn-rimmed glasses was Chinese. Good evening, Mr. Bond. Good evening. Any messages? No messages, sir. But a basket of food came from King's House. The delivery boy took it up to your room. Did you recognize the delivery boy? No, sir. He was a colored boy. Said he was from the ADC's office. King's House, can I help you? I'd like to speak to the colonial secretary. May I have your name, please? Bond. James Bond. Oh, one moment. Bond, what can I do for you? Did somebody in King's House send me a basket of fruit? Fruit? Tangerines, pink bananas, nectarines. Not as far as I know. There's a typewritten note saying, with the compliments of His Excellency the Governor. How weird. Weirder still, each fruit has a tiny pinhole near the stalk, almost invisible. What does that mean? 
That's what I intend to find out. Is there a public analyst in Kingston? There is. I'll put the fruit in a box and send it round. Perhaps you could pass it on to him. Of course. I don't want my name to come into this. I understand. Let me know what the analyst has to say. I will indeed. Anything else I can do for you? No, thanks. What are you doing for dinner? I'll grab something in the hotel. I want an early night. Not a bad dinner. Grilled fish, haricot vert, half bottle of Poulini Montrachet, which I was pleasantly surprised to find on the card. Back to the room at 10.15. Undress. Asleep in five minutes. And then... Three o'clock in the morning. Suddenly awake. Why? Lie very still. Listening. Listening. Something must have disturbed me. What? Move carefully. Gently pull back the single cotton sheet. Hear nothing. See nothing. Slide body to edge of bed. Stop. Keep still. Keep very still. Something moving on my right ankle. <laughs> Crawling on the inside of my shin. Insect of some sort. A big one. As long as my hand. Dozens of tiny feet lightly touching my skin. Keep still. Keep still. A tropical centipede. Remember seeing one natural history specimen in a museum. Pale brown and flat, five or six inches long. On either side of the blunt head, curved poison claws. The label on the bottle said its poison was mortal if it hit an artery. <laughs> it reached my knee. Oh, God. I must move. Must not move. Not even tremble. I feel it. I feel it crossing my stomach up to my chest. <laughs> Stopped. What's it doing? I can feel its blunt head questing blindly to and fro. Oh, moving again onto my neck, into the stubble of my chin, corner of my mouth, along the nose, across the forehead. Coffee, Quarrel. 
Ah, uh, thanks, Captain. What do you know about centipedes? Centipedes? Well, we got some bad ones here in Jamaica. They kills folk. They mostly live in them old houses in Kingston. They love the rotten wood in the moldy places. Would you expect to find one in a modern house? In your shoe, perhaps? In a drawer? In your bed? No, sir. Not unless someone put it there on purpose. There's dirty living insects. They not love the clean places. James Bond? Uh, Pladel Smith. What news? I think you should change your greengrocer. That basket of fruit contained enough cyanide to kill a horse. Right. Thanks. Let me know if there's anything else I can do. I will. Captain, begging your pardon. But can you tell me what you have in mind for we? I've been puzzled and I can't seem to figure out your game. I've hardly figured it out myself, Quarrel. As I told you, I'm here because Commander Strangways and his secretary have disappeared. Most people think they've gone off together. I think they've been murdered. That's so? Who you think's on it? I don't know who did it. But I think Dr. No, that Chinaman on Crab Key, had it done. Strangways was poking his nose into this man's affairs. Mm. Something to do with a bird sanctuary. And as you told me yourself, Dr. No has a mania for privacy. So what you gonna do about it? I was thinking that in a couple of days, you and I might go and take a look at Crab Key. Mm -mm. Just sniff around. We needn't get too close to Dr. No's end. I want to take a look at this bird sanctuary, see for myself what happened to the warden's camp. I think you're plumb crazy, Captain. Maybe. Will you come with me? Sure. I'm your man. Just one thing, Captain. I have some folks back in the Caymans. Would you consider taking out a life insurance on me before we sail? Of course. I'm going to Port Maria tomorrow, doing some research at the Jamaica Institute. I'll fix the insurance at the same time. We'll make it big. Say 5,000 pounds. Thanks, Captain. I'm afraid this is the only map of Crab Key we've got in the Institute. Ordnance Survey, dated 1910. Fine, let's have a look. The overall area of the island is about 50 square miles. Three quarters of this is swamp and shallow lake. A smallish river runs from the lake to the sea here on the south coast. And this, to the west? A hill, 500 feet high. Oh. The main guano deposits are here at the foot of the hill. No sign of a road? No sign of any habitation? No, sir. This Chinaman, Dr. No, he must have done quite a bit of building and development. Yes, but we have no record of it. Well, thanks for your help. When we go to Crab Key, where you reckon to land? South Shore, near the mouth of the river. I had a look at a map in the Jamaica Institute. We can go up the river to the lake. That's where the warden's camp must have been. Mm, this mighty rough country. Marsh and mangrove. How long are we staying? Better plan for three days. Weather may break. Stop us getting off for a night or two. Can't take a whole lot of food with us. No tobacco. Can't risk smoking light. Mm. Take a couple of good hunting knives. And a couple of guns. You never can tell. The undertaker's wind that blows at night from the center of the island clatters softly in the tops of the palm trees. The fireflies, the blinker-blinks, as Quarrel calls them, come out and begin flashing their sexual moors. <laughs> There's a melancholy feeling in the tropical dusk. Another slug of Canadian club is called for. What am I drinking for? Is it perhaps because of the 30 miles of black sea we have to cross tonight? 
because we're going into the unknown? Is it because of Dr. No? Time to go, Captain. Okay. Bond swallowed his drink and followed Quarrel down to the canoe. Quarrel went aft and Bond climbed into the space between the forward thwart and the bows. The sail, wrapped round the short mast, was at his back. The rim of the world was just visible in the darkness ahead. Then came a layer of black haze, above which the stars began, first sparsely, and then merging into a dense, bright carpet. A Milky Way soared overhead. They were running through a patch of phosphorus that winked at the bars and dripped jewels when Bond lifted his paddle out of the water. How safe it was slipping through the night in this ridiculously vulnerable little boat. How kind and soft the sea could be. One o'clock, two o'clock, three, four. A covey of flying fish broke the surface in front of the bars and scattered like shrapnel. That's no land, Captain. Oh, hold on, hold on. We're headed towards a reef. Oh. You okay? I'm fine. Yes, I'm fine. Okay, Captain. We gotta get this boat into mangrove. We'll cover it with seaweed and bits of driftwood. Nobody see it there. Five o'clock. It's gonna be daylight. Better get some rest, Captain. Bond awoke lazily. The sun, through the round, thick leaves of the sea grape, was already hot. A shadow moved across the dappled sand in front of his face. All day, all night, Marianne, sitting by the seaside, sipping sand. Bond peered through the fringe of leaves and grass that concealed him from the beach. A naked white girl was standing with her back to him. Her skin was a very light cafe au lait, with a sheen of dull satin. Her hair was ash blonde. She wore a broad leather belt around her waist with a hunting knife in a sheath at her right hip. The belt made her nakedness extraordinarily erotic. A green diving mask was pushed back above her forehead. She was holding a dozen pink seashells. From her eyes could sail a boat. Who is it? The hair on her head could tie a goat. Who's there? Another trespasser. Don't be frightened. The seashells fell onto the sand. Bond saw that her nose had once been badly broken, smashed crooked, like a boxer's. Who are you? What are you doing here? I'm an Englishman interested in birds. We're trying to protect a rare species. How long have you been watching me? How did you get here? No more answers until you tell me who you are. I live in Jamaica. I collect shells. I came in a canoe, did you? Yes. Where's your canoe? I've got a friend with me. We've hidden it in the mangroves. There are no marks of a canoe landing. We're careful. We covered them up. Did you use the sail? Yes. 
Right up to the reef. Well, why not? I always do. Then they'll know you're here. They've got radar. They've never caught me yet. What's your name? Bond. James Bond. What's yours? Ryder. What Ryder? Honey child. Why are you smiling? It's a pretty name. People call me Honey. I'm glad to meet you. Honey. Mm. I must get dressed. Right. Please don't touch my shells. Don't worry. I'll take care of them. Bond watched her go. There was something uncared for about her. A dog that nobody wants to pet. Who was she? When she came back, she was wearing a faded brown shirt with torn sleeves and a knee-length patched brown cotton skirt. She had a canvas knapsack slung over one shoulder. Your shells, are they rare? Some are. Some are very rare. You can get five dollars for a perfect specimen in Miami. Tell me about these birds you're looking for. What sort are they? They're called roseate spoonbills. What do they look like? Sort of pink stalks with a flat beak. Oh, those. There used to be thousands of them here, but you won't find many now. They scared them all away. Who scared them all away? The Chinaman. He doesn't like birds. He's got a dragon. He sent the dragon after the birds and scared them off. The dragon burned up their nesting places. There used to be two men who lived with the birds and looked after them, and they got scared away too, or killed, or something. This dragon. Have you ever seen it? Sure, I've seen it. Just before Christmas, I thought I'd explore the river. I went up to the top where the birdmen had their camp. It was all broken up. Everything smashed. And then I heard a funny noise, and I hid behind some bushes. I saw the dragon coming. It had two great orange-colored eyes and a long snout. It was all black and gold, making a sort of roaring noise. It went over the marsh, and a whole flock of birds flew up in front of it. Suddenly, a tongue of fire came out of its mouth and burnt them up, burnt the birds, burnt the trees where they'd been roosting. It was horrible, the most horrible thing I've ever seen. You don't believe me, do you? You're one of those city people. You don't believe anything. Honey, there aren't such things as dragons in this world. What you saw was something that looked like a dragon. I'm just wondering what it was. How do you know there aren't such things as dragons? Nobody lives on this end of the island. One could have survived here. Hmm. Unlikely. Anyway, what do you know about animals and things? Have you ever seen a praying mantis eat her husband after they've made love? Have you ever seen a mongoose dance? Have you seen a scorpion get sunstroke and kill itself with its own sting? I may not know the things you know, honey. But I know plenty of other things, like for instance that if the Chinaman finds out I'm here, he'll hunt me down with everything he's got, and I'm afraid he'll catch you at the same time. What have you done? Why is he looking for you? Captain, hey, Captain, over here. This is the guy I told you about. His name's Quarrel. They're coming, Captain. What's that noise? Sounds like a motorboat. He's got a big boat, the Chinaman, and he's got a plane. They're coming, Captain. Around the end of the reef. How many? Boat with two guys on board. Look, plenty tough. Get down, honey. Quarrel, this is honey. Do as he says, miss. Get down behind the sandbank. They got a gun. Machine gun. Okay, folks. Come on out, and you won't get hurt. Keep still. Don't take any chances. These men know their job. Come on, make it quick. We see when you came ashore. We spotted the boat under the driftwood. We ain't fools, and we ain't fooling. Just come out with your hands up. 
You'll be okay. Burrow into the sand, honey. Wriggle down. Every inch will help. Okay. Just so you'll know this thing ain't for show. Okay. You be warned. This is it. Keep right down. It won't last long. Precisely the idea. Come on, up. Mm. Let's get moving. You all right, Quarrel? We okay, Captain. But look at the girl's boat. Bullet holes all over. Did I nearly cut him in half? My God! Just look at it! It's okay. Captain, fix you up with another. And you come back with we. Let's get a fine boat in the mangrove. What do you think we should do, Quarrel? These mighty tough men. And they means business. Like you say, we better get moving. I'm damned if I'm going to be scared off the island before I've had a good look. Let's find the warden's camp and settle ourselves in. Wait, wait, wait! Why are those people trying to kill you? What's all this about? I'll tell you when we get to the camp. Who are you? What are you doing here? Don't tell me it's about those birds you said you were looking for. I'm not that much of a fool. It started with the birds. Now it's got more complicated. I think the Chinaman's up to no good, but I need to prove it. I need evidence. You mean you're some kind of policeman? Something like that. Now, come on. Which way do we go? Follow the river. It goes straight to the camp. Is it a good place to hide? It's all right, so long as they don't send their dragon after us. He can go through the water. Don't look at me like that. I've seen him do it. Oh, God, the wind's getting hotter and hotter. They come from the northeast. All year round it blows. It dries up the bird shit. Makes the guana. Hey, look at that. Those marks on the ground. That dragon's been here. Those are his tracks. I told you. Look more like tire tracks to me. All right, Mr. Know-all. Look over there. See that? I told you I'd seen the dragon burn up the bird's nests. That's where he breathed on them. Something certainly did. See there, Captain? Him tracks go out in the lake. And then, gone, disappear. Yes, I see that. All very odd. There it is, look. There's the camp. My God, what a mess. Looks like something big stampeded right through this place. That's where the wardens lived. Not much left of it. There are the dragon's tracks, Captain. See? There, coming out of the lake. Cooking pots, tins of food. They must have been in the middle of a meal when whatever it was disturbed them. More tins over here. This is where they stored things. Uh, pork and beans, could be worse. Uh, here's a purse. Look, five one-dollar bills, three Jamaican pounds. They certainly left in a hurry. You think we'll be okay here, Captain? As long as we don't show a light. Okay. I'll get these tins open and get things fixed up for tonight. <sighs> Thank God it's getting cooler. Have you been to Jamaica before? Yes, several times. I worked here five years ago. You're doing what? Oh, same sort of job. You seem to live a very exciting life. Your wife can't like you being away so much. 
Doesn't she worry about you getting hurt? I'm not married. The only people who worry about me getting hurt are my insurance company. But I suppose you have girls. Not permanent ones. Captain. Captain, I'll take the first watch if that suits. I'll come call you around midnight. Then maybe you take on till five. Then we get going. Need to get well away from this place before it's late. Suits me. Wake me if you see anything. Yeah, sure. <clears throat> Here you are, honey. An old sleeping bag. Must have belonged to one of the wardens. It looks clean. I'm happy sleeping on the sand. It'll keep you warm. What about you? I'm fine. Come in, beside me. There's plenty of room. Huh. No, thank you, honey. I'll be all right. Cigarette? No, thanks. Have you always lived in Jamaica? Always. My family came over years ago. 1860-something. We lived in the great house near Morgan's Harbor. But then the sugar trade collapsed, and I suppose the place was badly run. And when my father inherited it, there was nothing but debts. My parents died when I was young, and my black nanny looked after me. We lived in the cellars. She did a bit of sewing and laundry. She died when I was 15. Up till then, I'd led a child's life, and then I suddenly had to grow up and do everything for myself. Men tried to catch me and hurt me. They said they wanted to make love to me. One of them broke my nose. I tried to kill him with a knife, but he was very strong. One night, I caught a black widow spider. I crept into the man's room. He was asleep. I heard him snoring. I put the spider into his bed. My God. It took him a week to die. Bond looked at her. It was as if some beautiful animal had attached itself to him. But what about the physical desire he felt for her? One couldn't make love to a child. But was she a child? There was nothing childish about her body. And she was far more capable of taking care of herself than any girl of twenty Bond had ever met. coming across the water. What is it? What's going on? Stay here, honey. Don't move. The dragon. Stay here. You can see its eyes. I told you. I said it had great big orange eyes. Oh, Captain. What is that fearful thing? You can see the flame coming out of its mouth. That's no dragon, honey. But what is it then? Some sort of truck painted up to scare people. It's running on a diesel engine so you can forget about dragons. No point in trying to escape. Things too fast for us. Have to fight it out here. Quarrel, start firing at that dome on top. When he gets to the cabin, I'll go for those eyes, which I suspect are colored headlights. Honey? Yes, James? Like a hole in the sand like we did on the beach. There may be some shooting, so keep down and don't move. Be careful, James. See that? It's a flamethrower. That's how the warden got burnt. And the bushes. Let him have it, Quarrel. Coming your way, Quarrel. Look out! Quarrel! 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 
Come on out like me. I'm the girl. Quick, or you'll fry in hell like your pa. Take my hand, honey. Keep close. Stop there. Hold it. No tricks or the crabs will be getting a cup of breakfast. Hold out your hands. Walk towards me. You first, like me. Slowly, or you get an extra navel. Stop! Come back! I'm going to take a look at the man you just murdered. Okay. Enjoy yourself. <laughs> Sorry, we ain't got a wreath. Stay where you are, honey. You don't want to see this. I'm sorry, Guaro. I'm sorry. Okay, that's enough. Get inside. Both of you. Sit on the floor. What's that hard smell? Sweat and diesel oil. Don't touch anything or you get your fingers broke. Where are they taking us? To see Dr. Nerd, presumably. Don't worry. These men are just gangsters. It'll be different with them. Okay, get out. What of you? See there? In the side of the mountain. There's a bell push. Ring it. They'll let you in. What are we going to do? Might as well do what the man says. I can't see a door. There, look. Cut into the rock. And here's the bell pusher. Here you are at last. Come in, come in, both of you. We simply didn't know when to expect you. First it was tea time yesterday, then dinner. Now, here you are, just in time for breakfast. I'm Lily, Sister Lily. You must be famished, both of you. What's going on? God knows. What a beautiful room. Yes, isn't it? The doctor knows a great deal about antique furniture. He has such an eye for lovely things. If you'd be kind enough to follow me, please, I'll show you to your room. We've put you and your wife in the cream suite. Good morning, sir. Madam. This charming young lady is May. She'll be looking after you both. Anything you want, just ring for May. She's a favorite with all our patients. That's a charming kimono you're wearing. <laughs> Thank you, sir. I do hope you'll both be comfortable. I took the liberty of ordering breakfast as soon as I heard you had come in. Yes, I thought I smelled bacon and coffee. Delicious. We'll leave you two dear people in peace. If you want anything, just ring. The bells are by the bed. Ah, oh, yes. Room service, hairdresser, manicurist, maid. Very good. Sir, madam, you'll find kimonos, silk or linen in the cupboard. Thank you. The doctor has given strict orders that you're not to be disturbed. He'd be delighted if you'd join him for dinner this evening. Would that be agreeable? It would. Welcome. This is surreal. Ridiculous. It's a trap, don't you see? There's no window. No handle on the door. I don't think it's funny at all. Of course it's a trap, but we're in it and there's nothing we can do but eat the cheese. I think I need some coffee. Me too. Let me pour. Since they've given us a double room, 
I feel I should act like a wife. Here you are, darling James. Stop flirting. This is no time for making love. Why not? Drink your coffee. Everyone here seems to be Chinese. All hired by Dr. No, presumably. What do you think will happen to us? Who knows? Maybe nothing. Let's wait and see. I'll go and run you a bath. You'll feel better for that. Oh, well, it's all very plush. Florist lime bath essence for men. Guerlain soap. Fleur des Alpes. Bath cube or bath oil? Which do you prefer? Honey, bath cube or bath oil? Honey? 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 Feels so strange. M my legs. I can't stand up. God. Me too. Must have been the coffee. Bastards drug the coffee. An hour or so later, the door opened softly. A tall, thin figure wearing a kimono was silhouetted against the lighted corridor. He moved slowly into the room and up to the bed. He was holding a flashlight. He bent forward and shone the soft light onto the girl's face. Then he took the sheet and drew it down to the foot of the bed. But the hand that drew down the sheet was not a human hand. It was mechanical. A pair of articulated steel pincers at the end of a metal stalk that disappeared into a long black sleeve. The man then turned his attention to James Bond. He scrutinized every line, every shadow on the dark, rather cruel face that lay drowned in drugged sleep. He watched the pulse in the neck and counted. He did the same for the area around the heart. He gauged the curve of the muscles on Bond's arms and thighs and looked thoughtfully at the hidden strength in the flat stomach. For several minutes, the tall figure stood over the sleeping man. Then it swished softly away and out into the corridor. James. 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 Huh? I thought you'd never wake up. Honey. God, what time is it? Half past four. I must have put something in the coffee. You certainly did. Are you all right? I think so. Hungry. Press the room service bell. How are you feeling? I don't know. Don't be frightened. I'm not. I feel safe when I'm with you. Good. That's the way it should be. Come in. You rang for room service? Yes, please. Tea, I think, and buttered toast. Very good, sir. And this evening, would you be kind enough, please, to select what you would like for dinner? Here is the menu. The doctor asked if 7.45 for 8 would be convenient. Yes, fine. Then I will call for you at 7.44. At 7.44 precisely, there came a soft knock on the door. Bond took Honey by the hand, and they followed the Chinese girl along the empty, gracious corridor. They were shown into a lift. Bond had no idea how far down they went. The automatic doors hissed open. They walked into a large, empty room. My God. It is very big, yes? It's enormous. Must be 60 foot long. All those books. 
I've never seen so many. Enjoy. The doctor will be with you very shortly. Thank you. What's the end wall made of? Is it glass? Looks like it. Some sort of aquarium. Oh my god! Did you see that? Was it a shark? It certainly was. A shark in an aquarium? Come here, honey. Look up at the ceiling. Little specks of light. Look again. Can't you see what it is? What? That's Orion. This is no aquarium. This is the sea itself, and up there is the night sky. This window must be made of reinforced glass. We're twenty feet under the sea. This is amazing, honey. We're looking straight into the heart of the ocean. One million dollars, U.S. Doctor, no. Good evening, Mr. Bond. I expect you were wondering about the cost. I was. Bond's first impression was of thinness and erectness and height, six foot six at least. The head was elongated and tapered from a round, completely bald skull to a sharp chin, so that the impression was of a reversed raindrop, or rather, oil drop. The skin was of a deep, almost translucent yellow. Forgive me for not shaking hands with you. I am unable to. As you see, I have no hands. Slanting jet-black eyes stared out of the skull. They were without eyelashes. They looked like the mouths of two small revolvers, direct and unblinking, and totally devoid of expression. We have much to talk about, and so little time. Please, sit down. The bizarre gliding figure looked like a giant venomous worm wrapped in grey tinfoil. You will have a drink? Cigarettes are beside your chest. What will the girl have? A Coca-Cola, please. And I would like a medium vodka dry martini with a slice of lemon peel. Shaken and not stirred, please. I would prefer Russian or Polish vodka. Oh, I see you are also a man who knows what he wants. On this occasion, your desires will be satisfied. Do you not find that is generally so? When one wants a thing, one gets it. That is my experience. The small things. If you fail at the large things, it means you have not large ambitions. Cola. Give me a fulcrum and I will move the world. Vodka Martini. Enjoy. And now, Mr. James Bond of the British Secret Service, let us tell each other our secrets. But let us tell each other the truth. Very well. If you do not, these will know that you are lying. He brought the steel claw delicately in front of each eye and tapped the center of each eyeball. These see everything. Everything. All right, agreed. But if we are to talk, let it be without any more stage effects. You've suffered the misfortune of losing your hands. You wear contact lenses. You have enough money to create this remarkable habitat. But basically, you're just an ordinary man. You eat, sleep, and defecate like the rest of us. So no more conjuring tricks, please. 
I'm not one of your guano diggers, and I'm not impressed by them. Bravely spoken, Mr. Bond. I accept the rebuke. It is a rare pleasure to have an intelligent listener, and I shall enjoy telling you my story. I have not told it to anyone before, and I know that you will keep it to yourself, as indeed will the young lady. Look, there's no point in telling her. She's got nothing to do with me. I found her yesterday on the beach. Your men destroyed her canoe. So I had to bring her with me. Send her back home. She won't talk. She'll swear not to. I will talk. I'll tell everything. I'm going to stay with you. I don't want you here. Don't waste your breath on these heroics, Mr. Bond. Nobody who comes to this island has ever left it. And don't try to bluff me. It's entirely useless. Sorry, honey. I didn't mean it. I'd hate you to go away. Let's stick together and hear what this maniac has to say. You are right, Mr. Bond. That is just what I am. A maniac. All the greatest men are maniacs. They are possessed by a mania, which drives them forward to their goal. My mania is for power. That is the meaning of my life. That is why I am here. That is why you are here. That is why here exists. You disappoint me, Dr. No. The asylums are full of people who think they're the King of England or the President of the United States or God. The only difference is that instead of being shut away by society, you built your own asylum and locked yourself inside. But why? Why does incarcerating yourself in this cell give you the illusion of power? Power is sovereignty, Mr. Bond. Clausewitz's first principle was to have a secure base. From there one proceeds to freedom of action. Together, that is sovereignty. You talk of kings and presidents. How much power do they possess? As much as the people will allow them. But I have to account to no one! That makes my position unique. That is only the illusion of power. Any man with a loaded revolver has the power of life and death over his neighbors. Other people beside you have murdered in secret and got away with it. In the end, a greater power than they possess is exerted upon them by the community. That will happen to you, Dr. No. Your search for power is an illusion because power itself is an illusion. So is beauty, Mr. Bond. So is art. So is money. So is death. And so probably is life. Let us go eat. Over dinner, I shall tell you my story. The round mahogany table was laid for three. Silver and glass twinkled warmly. The plain dark blue carpet was luxuriously deep. Dr. No took the center high-backed chair and bowed the girl into the chair on his right. They sat down and unfolded napkins of white silk. The hollow ceremony and the charming room maddened Bond. He longed to break it up with his own hands to wind his silk napkin round Dr. No's throat and squeeze until the contact lenses popped out of the black, damnable eyes. I was... The only son of a German Methodist missionary and a Chinese girl of good family. But I was born on what you call the wrong side of the blanket. 
I went to work in Shanghai and became involved with the Tongs and their illicit proceedings. I moved to the United States and settled in New York. I loved the death and destruction of people and things, and I became adept in the techniques of criminality. The killers, when they came, came in the night. I had stolen a million dollars in gold from a criminal organization called the Hip Sings. They tracked me down. They cut off my hands to show that the corpse was that of a thief. They shot me through the heart and went away. But I am the one man in a million, Mr. Bond, who has his heart on the right side of his body. I live. By sheer willpower, I survived the operation and the months in hospital. When they let me out, I decided to change my appearance. I had all my hair taken out by the roots. My thick nose made thin, my mouth widened, my lips sliced. I could not get smaller, so I made myself taller. I wore built-up shoes. I had weeks of traction on my spine. I changed my name to Julius. No, the Julius after my father, and the no for my rejection of him and of all authority. Uh, how are your lamb cutlets, Mister Bond? Fine. And your chicken a long glaze? It's very good, thank you. Good. And so, my next task was to find a suitable site for my headquarters. It had to be an island. It had to be entirely private. It had to be capable of industrial development. I have been here for fourteen secure and fruitful years, and then one day I got a letter from the Audubon Society. A letter about these wretched birds, these roseate spoonbills. The society gave me formal notification that they intend to build a hotel on their leasehold. Mr. Bond, can you believe it? The privacy I had achieved, the plans I had for the future—all this to be swept aside by the idiotic Audubon Society and their stupid birds. I sent to Florida for a marsh buggy, a vehicle that is used for oil prospecting that will cover any kind of terrain. I adapted it to frighten and to burn not only birds. Humans as well. One night in December, I sent a buggy across the lake. It smashed through the camp. Both wardens were reported killed. The one it turned out escaped to die in Jamaica. It burned the nesting place. The spoonbills died in their thousands. The Audubon Society demanded an investigation. I decided to agree. Two officials were sent in an aeroplane. An accident was arranged. The bodies were placed reverently in coffins, and I reported the tragedy. Privacy was reestablished. There are now no roseate spoonbills, so there will be no wardens. There will be no more interference. Strangways and the girl. What happened to them? Ah,、uh, yes. Well, your Mister Strangways became suspicious and started ferreting about. He and the girl are fifty fathoms down at the bottom of the Mona Reservoir. I sent three of my best men. As for you, 
Well, I knew what type of man you were thanks to the files Miss Tarot removed from the king's house. I guess that the fly would come to the spider when your canoe showed up on the radar screen. I knew you would not get away. Your radar is not very efficient. There were two canoes. The one you saw was the girl's. She's nothing to do with me. Then she is unfortunate. I happen to be needing a white girl for a small experiment. As we agreed earlier, Mr. Bond, one generally gets what one wants. Then you're out of luck, Doctor No. If I fail to return from Grab Key within three days, London will be alerted. <laughs> I wonder if that is true. I rather doubt it. Because of the girl, and only because of her, I'll strike a bargain. In exchange for our safe return to Jamaica, you may have a weak start. Take your aeroplane and try to get away. Oh, the police come and the soldiers come. Where is your evidence? Your search warrant. Please go away and leave me in peace. Have you anything else to say? You both have a busy night ahead of you and I... I must get my sleep. The monthly ship from Antwerp is putting in tomorrow, and I have the loading to supervise. You said this place is your headquarters. Headquarters for what? I can't believe you've gone to all this trouble just to cultivate bird shit. Oh, you are quite right, Mr. Pond. My work is of a far more momentous nature. I'm sure you're aware that Turks Island, about 300 miles from here, is the most important center for testing the missiles of the United States. I know it's an important center, yes. And you must have read that their rockets have been going astray recently? Yes. It may interest you to know that these failures have been caused here in Krab Key. What am I supposed to say to that? Oh, you don't believe me. Why should I? No matter, there are plenty who do. The Russians, for example, my partners in this venture, they train six of my men. I have electronic equipment of the very highest sophistication. The Russians pay well for my expertise. Perhaps you don't know the Russians as well as I do. You may be a best friend at the moment, but the Russians don't have partners. They want to take you over, buy you out with a bullet. You cannot play for high stakes without taking risks, Mr. Bond. I accept the dangers, and so far as I can, I have whipped myself against them. Furthermore, I am on the edge of greater things. I can already bend the radio beams that control the American rockets, and very soon I shall be able to control them completely. Bring them down into the ocean near this island and salvage the secrets of their construction. And how much would Russia pay for each of the prototypes I captured? Ten million dollars? Twenty? It would be a priceless victory in the armaments race. I could name my own figure. Don't you agree, Mr. Bond? And don't you agree that these considerations make your arguments and threats seem rather puny? All right, Doctor, no. What are your plans for us? Knife, bullet, poison, rope. Just make it quick. I've seen more than enough of you. Very well. I shall summon the guards. I'm sorry about this, honey. Will it hurt? Of course it will hurt. I am interested in pain. I am interested in finding out how much the human body can endure. You have both caused me a great deal of trouble. In exchange, I intend to put you to a great deal of pain. It's a year since I put a girl to death in the fashion I have chosen for you. 
She was a negress. She lasted three hours. I have wanted a white girl for comparison, so I was not surprised when your arrival was reported. I always get what I want. And now, my dear, you have lived in Jamaica all your life, so you will know what I'm talking about. This island is called Ab Key because it is infested with land. Crap. They weigh about a pound each and are as big as saucers. At this time of year, they come up in thousands from their holes near the shore and climb toward the mountains where they go to ground again and spawn their broods. They march in armies of hundreds. It is a compulsive migration. They devour whatever they find in their path. Tonight, on the mountainside, they will find the naked body of a young woman pegged out before them. A banquet, indeed. You bastard. You're burning hell for this. Mr. Bond, I do not admit the existence of hell. Console yourself. Perhaps they will start at the throat or the heart. The movement of the pulse will attract them, and then it will not be long. Yes, sir? The girl has fainted. You know where to take her? Yes, sir. Let us now proceed to the method of your departure, Mr. Bond. I have just finished constructing an obstacle race, an assault course against death. I will say no more about it because the element of surprise is one of the constituents of fear. It is the unknown dangers that are the worst that bear most heavily on the reserves of courage. It'll be particularly interesting, Mr. Bond, that a man of your physical is to be my first competitor. Run a good race for me, Mr. Bond. My thoughts, as they say, will be with you. This is it, bud. You are at the starting gate. You can either sit here and rot or find your way out onto the course. Happy landings. How would you like to earn $10,000 guaranteed and a ticket to anywhere in the world? Thanks, mister. I'd rather stay alive. Bond was in a grey-painted stone cell. The door was made of metal with no handle on the inside. There was nothing in the room except a wooden chair. There was a ventilation grill in one corner just below the ceiling. Bond set the chair beneath the grill and climbed onto it. He reached out towards the wire. Slowly, Bond got to his feet. He squinted up at the wire grill as if it might strike at him again. There was no other way out. The grill had to be removed. Presumably, the electric shock had been to soften him up, a taste of pain to come. Bond reached up and tugged at the wire. It came away in his hand. He set to work unraveling the thick mesh. Then, using the chair as a hammer, he straightened the heavy wire. After ten minutes, Bond had fashioned a crooked spear, about four feet long. He heaved himself into the metal ventilator shaft. It was about four inches wider than Bond's shoulders. Polished metal. Zinc. Cool air blew into Bond's face. 
faint luminosity ahead. A vertical shaft directly above him. Slowly. Slowly. Six inches at a time. Bond's body began to worm up the shaft. Don't look up. Think only of the inches of metal that have to be conquered one by one. One by one. Above him, light was shining through a thick portal. Yellowish light. The glass looks thick. Suddenly, behind the glass, he saw movement, a pair of eyes observing. Bastards. No more light. Blackness ahead. It's getting warmer. The smell of heat. Metallic heat. Right hand turn in the shaft. Hands and knees toes. Faster. Faster. There's no air. His lungs were bursting. Bond inched forward. Something's blocking the shaft. Wire mesh was fine as muslin. Sound of movement. Creatures of some sort. But what? Eyes like red pinpoints watching him. Tarantulas. Giant tarantulas. Was this Dr. Nose killing ground? There must be 20 of them at least. You have to get past them. Somehow. He seized the mesh and wrenched it out of the frame. The spider scuttled towards him. He took his wire spear and jammed it again and again into the mass of writhing furry insects. Bash and bash into blood and fur! Bond shot his body over the pulp of crushed spiders and through the jagged frame. The shaft sloping downwards. Steeper and steeper. Glimmer of grey light ahead. Now the shaft was widening. He could no longer get a grip. Going faster and faster. Faster and faster. Bend just ahead. Bond's body crashed into the bend and rounded. Christ! He was diving head downwards. Out of control! The metal flayed his skin. Stay alive, you fool! Stay alive! Bond's body shot out of the shaft and fell through the air slowly, slowly down towards the gunmetal sea that waited for him a hundred feet below. He was in a narrow deep water inlet at the base of a towering cliff. A strong wire fence stretched from the rock walls of the inlet, caging it off from the open sea. Below him the water quivered. Something was stirring in the depths, something huge. A great length of luminescent greyness showed poised far down in the darkness. Good. Oh, God. Two eyes as big as footballs stared out through the quiet water. Bond's skin crawled on his back. This was the creature that had crippled Pussifer. The giant squid that could pull ships beneath the waves, the mythical kraken that battled with whales. The surface of the water shivered. Bond could see a forest of tentacles. He snaked his feet and arms through the squares in the wire fence, lacing himself into them. The great eyes watched him coldly, patiently, delicately, like the questing trunk of an elephant. One of the long tentacles broke the surface and palped its way towards Bond's leg. Like a huge, slimy caterpillar, the tentacle moved slowly, slowly up his leg. And then... The tiger from Antwerp. The tanker from Antwerp had arrived. Antwerp! Part of the world outside, a world that was a million miles away. The suckers bit into his body. The head of the squid broke the surface of the water. Bond was being pulled down inch by inch. The creature's eyes glared at him redly, venomously. There was one hope, only one. His hand dived for the crook of the wire spear. He wrenched the wire as straight as he could. He lunged down with all his force. He caught a glimpse of the tip of his spear lancing into the center of the black eyeball, and then the whole sea erupted into a foul fountain of blackness. What's happened? Have I gone blind? He wiped a hand across his face. Streaks of light came into his eyes. Must get out! Must get out while I can! Bond hauled himself up the slippery wall of the cliff. Suddenly, as he grabbed hold of the fence at the top, he felt a rush of human flesh, flailing fists, sharp teeth biting deeply into the calf of his right leg. And then, just a glimpse. Ash blonde hair.
Honey, it's me! James! My God! Help me! Help me over this fence! What happened? Squid! <coughs> Giant squid! Emptied his bloody ink all over me! Here, here, come here! Let me wipe you down! My God, honey! You certainly pack a hefty punch! Sorry, darling James. I thought you were one of the guards. What happened? How did you get away from the crabs? Silly old fool, Dr. No. He thinks he knows everything. Black crabs don't like meat. They live on plants. And if he did kill a black girl that way, she must have died of fright. But you fainted. Well, I knew he'd do something much worse to you. That's why. God. God almighty, I had visions of you being torn to pieces. Sit still. Let me clean you properly. It wasn't much fun. I was tied down to pegs in the ground, and then I heard the crabs beginning to run, rattling along, hundreds of them. They walked round me and over. I might have been a rock for all they cared. I just lay there very still and waited for the early morning when they'd crawl into their holes and go to sleep. There. That's got most of it off. Oh, my God. Your body. What have they done to you? No, darling. No time to talk. We've got to get out of here. Let's see what's going on. Let me take a look over those rocks. The loading jetty's right beneath us. There's a tanker alongside. The Blanche from Antwerp. There's a conveyor belt and a crane. Presumably the crane lifts the conveyor belt into the hold of the tanker. That's how they load the guano. Okay, to go! Okay! Start the engine! Start the conveyor belt! God, look who's there. The doctor himself. Let me see. Get back. What's he doing? Just watching. Making sure everything's okay. Commence starting. Starting, commence. What's that noise? Tons of bird shit pouring into the hole. Get down. Looks like scrambled egg. God, what filthy stuff. Let me see. Keep down. What are you doing? Crane driver. I could reach him. Oh, James. If I climb to that ledge, I'll be no more than a few feet from the cabin. He's concentrating on his work. He won't see me. He might. It's our only chance. What'll you do? Break his neck. Oh, God. The two iron footholds at the back of the cabin looked solid enough. The noise of the engine would drown any other sound. But he'd have to be quick to yank the man's body out of the seat and get his own hands and feet on the controls. No room for any mistake. Bond jumped onto the crane with all the stealth and speed of a panther. He stood behind the man's back, smelling his sweat. He seized the man's head, forcing it back, grabbing the smooth brownish-yellow skin, jerking it back, holding it back, pressing down and back with all his strength. The tip of the crane arced across the sky. Now the mouth of the conveyor was spewing the dust column down over the side of the ship. Dr. No turned towards the crane, trying to see what had gone wrong. The yellow mound was spreading silently across the jetty towards Dr. No. Five yards, four yards, three. Don't look round, you bastard. Dr. No took a step towards the crane. What had you seen? Now you take it, Dr. No. The stinking dust column engulfed Dr. No. Bond saw the long arms fling wide as if to embrace the thudding mess. One knee rose to run, the mouth opened. There was a brief glimpse of a kind of dancing marionette. 
and then only a mound of yellow bird dung that grew higher and higher. The governor's daughters were playing tennis. In a cool, shadowy room, five men were sitting around a massive conference table. His Excellency, the acting governor, was chairing an emergency meeting. You're quite sure of all this? Yes, sir. Quite sure. We mustn't let anything get out to the press. You understand that? I'll send my report to the Secretary of State by the next bag. I'm sure I can rely on your discretion. I think we can assume that Commander Bond is unlikely to communicate with anyone except his department, sir. Quite so. And if I may say so, sir, I think we should take steps to clear up Crab Key without waiting for approval from London. Uh, very well. I shall leave the arrangements in your hands, Colonial Secretary. It only remains for me to express my appreciation to Commander Bond for his part in this affair. I shall not fail to mention your assistance, Commander, to the Secretary of State. But Bond had stopped listening. Oh, well done, Angie. His mind drifted into a world of tennis courts and lily ponds, of people being photographed with pigeons on their heads in Trafalgar Square, of the Forsythia that would soon be blazing on the bypass roundabouts, of the douce weather of England. Ever heard the Jamaican expression, Ross? No. Ross, man, means, as you can probably guess, stuff it up. Would have been entirely appropriate for you to have used the expression just now. The point is, he doesn't want any trouble the acting governor. I feel I should apologise on behalf of those of us who dwell in King's house. Is there anything else I can do for you? You got that signal off to my chief? I did. Urgent rates. Good. And do please talk to the Jamaica Institute people about the girl. She knows a hell of a lot about the natural history of the island. If they've got the right sort of job, I'd like to see her settled. Leave it to me. If you and your wife could, you know, keep an eye on her. It'll be a pleasure. Betty's rather good at looking after people. She'll enjoy taking the girl under her wing. Thanks. Thanks for everything. As he drove, Bond thought of Crab Key. The hot, ugly wind, the stink of marsh gas from the mangrove swamps. By now, they'll have found Dr. No's body. They'll have washed the yellow dust off him and wrapped him in one of his own kimonos. And where had his soul gone to? Had it been a bad soul? Or just a mad one? Bond thought of the burned twist down in the swamp that had once been quarrel. Surely he hadn't gone to the same place as Doctor Nell. Whatever happened to dead people, there was surely one place for the warm and another for the cold. And which, when the time came, would he... James Bond, go to. She was wearing a black and white striped cotton skirt and a tight sugar pink blouse. The golden hair smelled of cheap shampoo. She looked incredibly fresh and beautiful. Bond took her in his arms and kissed her hard on the lips. They lay on the soft grass beneath the stars. Honey, I have to go to Kingston tomorrow, to the hospital. I may be there several days. But I've arranged for a man from Government House to look after you. His name's Shush. No more. Shush. Shush. Tell me later. This is my night with you. 
Please, James. Talk about love. <laughs> 